from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Is it a case of broken promises? This isn't something that um, we didn't uphold on our end of the bargain. The government broke its contract. What one black farmer wants you to know about why he's taking on the federal government in court. The farm machinery industry battles back from the supply chain crunch. A little bit of a whack-a-mole strategy. It's always something new. Something new is coming up every time. An update on how much longer it could last as we check out this year's Farm Machinery Show. Plus the latest push for ag trade. And this is going to mean tremendous uh, access for rice, almonds, wheat, corn, and frozen beef. How Fresh Leadership is offering up some hope right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The Biden administration is starting off a new year with some progress on the trade front. This comes after USDA and the U.S. Trade Representative's Office received Senate confirmation on key appointees at the end of 2022. Ag Day's Michelle Rook looks at what that means for the administration's trade agenda. Clinton Farm Groups have been critical of the administration for the lack of a trade agenda in the first two years, including making key trade appointments. However, USDA Undersecretary for Trade Alexis Taylor and Chief Ag Negotiator Doug McCallop were finally confirmed by the Senate at the end of 2022. Farm groups repeatedly expressed their disappointment as well that trade was not a priority under the current administration, pointing to the lack of new free trade agreements with partners like the UK or work to renew a trade deal with China. So they've welcomed the new trade leadership as a step in the right direction. I'm optimistic that the Biden administration is going to get more involved in trade. They're getting a lot of pressure too. And hopefully we can move the needle here because it's really been stagnant for the last two years. Now, McCallop has been on the job for about seven weeks. He says his office has already made many successes, including reopening pork exports to Ghana. Plus, the U.S. signed a new tariff rate quota agreement with the EU following Brexit. And this is going to mean tremendous uh, access for rice, almonds, wheat, corn, and frozen beef. So, um, and there's a lot more work to do in that area, certainly. Additionally, negotiations in January resulted in India dropping their tariff on U.S. pecans by 70%. They also eliminated the uh, tariff on industrial ethanol and uh, also eliminated or reduced tariffs on some feed products as well. So some really uh, good progress. He says China has also lifted cold chain restrictions put in place during the COVID-19 pandemic and approved six new GMO traits in cotton, alfalfa and canola. McCallop admits they do have work to do with China, advancing the Indo-Pacific economic framework and Mexico's plan to ban GMO corn for human consumption by 2024. Now they're pressing Mexico to adhere to what they signed onto in the USMCA using science and risk-based assessments for their decision-making on importing U.S. grain. All right, thanks, Michelle. Supply chain issues have been in the headlines since 2020, but has the situation improved? Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan talked with equipment manufacturers at this year's Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. Supply chain challenges consistently hit agriculture in 2022. We are conditioned to expect the black swans to the point where they're no longer black swans. They're just kind of inevitable disruptions. But a sector still fragile to supply chain issues is the farm machinery and equipment sector. The supply chain challenges that we experienced in 21 and 22 are with us for a little bit longer. But maybe by the end of the year, 
we'll begin to see uh, some, some return to normalcy, uh, whatever normalcy looks like. Equipment manufacturers across the world are grappling with the same problem. So it could be tracks one day, it could be tires the next day. We have a lot of very unique, you know, high value custom castings, a heat treated custom casting that you can't just go get and it's a very unique supplier. A little bit of a whack-a-mole strategy. It's always something new. Something new is coming up every time and it just happens to be that, you know, castings uh, are our, our current issue and the current challenges but it's always something different. AEM recently conducted a survey of its members showing the biggest supply issue in the ag sector is tracks and those included components and its semiconductors and chips proving to be an issue for both agriculture and construction. No matter what the item is in scarce supply, the problem is bigger than one part or one company. The underlying issue with all supply chain challenges are labor. AEM recently surveyed 179 equipment manufacturer executives about the supply chain late last year. 98% of respondents say they still face supply chain issues with more than half experiencing supply chain conditions growing worse, not getting better. And that's why the industry could grapple with labor challenges for years to come, forcing companies like Case IH to come up with creative solutions. The pivot to, to get product to customers is doing different things with labor, sourcing, strategic sourcing. What we're doing actually, I would use one word, and it's we're being very disciplined. We're not just hearing that it's progressively getting better. We're sensing it, we're feeling it, we're seeing it come through in our, our, our deliveries. So uh, as long as things continue on that trajectory, I feel pretty good about next year. We're not out of the woods, but we're certainly in a better place than where we were, let's say, a year, year and a half ago. Uh, but we're just going to keep fighting to make sure that we're ready for whatever the customers need from us. Growing optimism, even with some bumps, still ahead as ag equipment manufacturers navigate uncharted waters with the supply chain. Reporting for Ag Day, I'm Tyne Morgan. All right, thanks Tyne. John Deere off to a good start this year. The company releasing its fiscal first quarter earnings, beating Wall Street expectations. Deere selling $11.4 billion worth of equipment. That's nearly $3 billion more than a year ago. The machinery giant saying it expects its sales to climb 20% this year, about double what its economists expect for the entire ag machinery industry. Winter isn't done just yet. We're tracking a massive winter storm that's expected to impact much of the U.S. this week. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us with an update. Yeah, the wind is going to be a big factor over the next couple days. You combine that with the precipitation that's about to fall in this storm, and it's something else. The storm forms and then moves up into the upper Midwest. Minneapolis is going to get hit hard with winds, as well as the Midwest in general. But combine that with the snow. Look at that. Some areas upwards and over two feet of snow in southern Minnesota. It's going to be interesting. Blizzard warnings for sure will be issued. All right, now take a look at this. It's a busy day on the farm for this dog, Jim Epsi of Wyoming, sharing this video, saying it's a good thing that she's a rescue dog because he doesn't think she'd survive in the wild for a minute. But he says she is doing her best to protect the haystacks from mice. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. The man accused of killing seven people at two California farms has entered a plea of not guilty. Prosecutors allege 66-year-old Chun-Li Zhao shot four people to death at Half Moon Bay Mushroom Farm, where he also worked. Then did the same thing to three people at another nearby farm. Now, last month, he admitted to the shootings in an interview with a local reporter. He claimed he was not in his right mind and didn't know what was happening. 
in court last week as public defenders requested more time to collect evidence. Markets were closed on Monday, but that doesn't stop our analysts from looking ahead. We'll do that next, coming up in analysis. And later, it's a controversial topic, debt relief for farmers of color. So this morning, a different perspective on the matter from one of the farmers impacted, why he says the government broke its promises. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. The nation's busiest port for U.S. goods appears to be getting busier these days when it comes to ag exports. The Port of Savannah reporting exports were up 21% last month. Port officials saying it was a strong month for American farms and factories, but they say total cargo dipped over 11% compared to January of last year, fueled in part by reduced orders in retail and manufacturing, causing import loads to soften. Grains traded quietly lower last week, so what's ahead for this week? Michelle gets a market preview from Chip Nellinger in this morning's Markets Now. Welcome to Market Analysis. Chip Mellinger, Blue Reef Marketing, joining us. And we came out of last week with the grains kind of a little bit lower for the week, but kind of searching for direction. And let's talk about some of the things happening over the weekend that might provide that direction, including some frost in Argentina. Yeah, it was really a, a strange weekend. Friday was very quiet volume. As you mentioned, the market searching for direction into the long weekend. But we got, uh, you know, something. I'm not sure if it's going to give much direction, but it's sure going to cause some disruption in the market. You had uh, a somewhat unexpected, uh, pretty major frost in growing areas of Argentina. It would be the equivalent of like a mid-August type frost for them. And then you had this surprise visit by President Biden to Ukraine. You had some tough talk between Chinese and U.S. officials about the possibility that China is going to provide uh, some heavy artillery and weapons to Russia. And so, you know, the market's going to be really pushed and pulled by the supportive feature of the freeze on top of worsening yeah. uh, Chinese and U.S., uh, you know, uh, trade potential going forward. And it's going to really make for a volatile trading week this week. Yeah, and I know the market has been trying to work some of that uh, China trade concern in already. What about the fact that we also are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Black Sea War here on the 24th? Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely front and center. I think that uh, at the heart of it is why we saw President Biden uh, make that unexpected visit, uh, just kind of a show of solidarity. But, you know, behind the scenes, there was that tough talk uh, and some news stories that China was uh, getting ready to, to send some weapons uh, and support, military support to Russia. So it's certainly, um, you know, going to up the escalation a little bit. You've also got coming up the renewal of the uh, you know, Black Sea Grain Corridor, that's a couple weeks out ahead of us, but yeah. the market's already a, a little bit uh, scared about that. And Russia's already had some tough talk that maybe they want some changes to that or a, a total, uh, you know, uh, end of that. So there's a lot of uncertainty in there. The weather is just one part of it. And I, I'm afraid it's going to be a wild, volatile trading week here. Yeah. Plus, uh, put on top of that, FOMC minutes that are going to be coming out with inflation talk already so lots to go on for this week thanks so much for joining us chip nellinger blue Thank bag of marketing love more ag day coming up farming has changed markets are riskier than ever for customized focused commodity marketing contact chip nellinger or adam dreyer at 309-550-7213 Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. 
Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineRepeat.com. Meteorologist Chuck Heber joining us here for our national forecast. And as we start to talk about this week, wind and snow sound like they make a big return to the northern yeah. plains. We have a powerhouse storm that's going to form down in the southwest and move up into the Midwest. And it's going to lay down a lot of snow, especially in southern Minnesota and wind. All right, let's take a look at the jet stream. You can see down to the southwest here, you have this little lobe. This is a storm we're concerned with. It's going to build itself up and then work its way into the upper Midwest. And with some energy from the north, it's going to combine and lay down a lot of snow. Another cold air intrusion out to the west on uh, Thursday. It'll reinforce that cold air up to the north. But then most of the country later in the week remains relatively mild for this time of the year. Maybe another system pushing across on Tuesday. Here's Tuesday, though. You can see the future radar down to the southwest. This storm rapidly intensifies and works its way up to the north. That combined with the northern edge here is going to lay down a lot of precipitation and a lot of snow. That would be in southern Minnesota looking somewhere upwards of two feet of snow in some locations, potentially higher. That'll be some thunderstorms down to the south of Chicago. There's going to be a pretty quick demarcation line in northern Indiana, and you're going to see that quickly transition to the snow up to the north. Then combine that with the wind, you're going to see this wind field move out, but then this massive wind field around that storm and then up to the north as well. So mixing all that snow with wind gusts up to 40, 50 miles per hour, very high likelihood we'll see some blizzard conditions in those areas as the day moves along Tuesday and through Thursday. Precipitation adds up in terms of water precipitation, but look at these snowfall amounts. Again, southern Minnesota down here, you can see actually amounts again two feet or more, which is just incredible. Here's a high temperature in Chicago today, 37. Look at that differential in temperature. St. Louis 56, warm. Dallas 86 degrees for the high. For the low temperature tonight, we're going to see temperatures, of course, with the snowpack. Minneapolis minus eight, warmer again down to the south and southeast. And here's the temperature for tomorrow 37 in Chicago. Look at that 69 in St. Louis. That's only a five hour drive, folks. All right, let's take a look closer at home. Nashville, Tennessee, partly sunny, 66 and a low of 56. Adams, Massachusetts, 36 and 23 for the low rain snow mix. And Rucker Lake, Arizona. High 52 and low 32 with showers. The U.S. takes Canada to task over dairy access once again. We have the very latest next. And later, as we celebrate Black History Month, there is something one black farmer wants you to know about why he's filed a suit against the government in the country. The Dairy Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim, because cattle first is a remark only made remarkable by you, producers and veterinarians across the country. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office formally filed its second case against Canada under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement. Now, this is the second case the U.S. filed against Canada over dairy market access. The U.S. won its first case in January of last year as a dispute settlement panel determined Canada undermines the value of its dairy tariff rate quotas for U.S. farmers and exporters by limiting access to in-quota quantities negotiated under USMCA. 
Canada thus far has not provided uh, real market access for our dairy products. So this second case will allow us to hone in and to focus specifically on the issues that still remain with the Canadian market for dairy. Now Canada failed to meet the deadline of February 3rd last year to bring its policies into compliance or face possible tariffs or other countermeasures from the U.S. For years, grocery stores seemed to get bigger and bigger, but now it appears some chains may be looking to downsize. DairyHerd.com reporting on this, saying as real estate prices skyrocket and labor becomes harder to find, several stores, including Target, Meyer, Publix, Wegmans, and Sprouts, may go smaller. The current average size of a grocery store in the U.S. is about 38,000 square feet. However, those numbers have been declining recently with small format stores now ranging from 12,000 to 25,000 square feet and even smaller in urban markets. Progressive Grocer reports stores are reevaluating their strategies as they look to maximize profits, keep shoppers loyal and drive sales amid increasing expenses. One USDA program directed to farmers of color ended up in the courts. We'll talk to a Virginia farmer still fighting for those payments next in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. As we continue to mark National Black History Month, we are taking a deep dive into the issues facing black farmers right now. Recently, four plaintiffs filing a lawsuit against the federal government saying it broke its promise when it failed to pay off the debts of a group of black farmers. Now, you'll remember USDA dropped a pandemic era program that would have paid off 120% of the debt of farmers considered socially disadvantaged. But then several lawsuits were filed by women and white farmers against it, alleging the program violated their constitutional rights. Now, I talked recently with one of the four plaintiffs now suing the government, speaking on behalf of black farmers, John Boyd Jr. of the National Black Farmers Association, about why he decided to file suit. Right, and we made plans based on the agreement that we signed with USDA. Hmm. So for people that are watching this, this isn't something that um, we didn't uphold on our end of the bargain. The government broke its contract between black and other farmers of color and simply said that they weren't going to do it and they repealed it. And uh, based on that commitment, many black farmers made changes in their farming operations. You know, they bought tractors and, and things that they thought they would make need to improve their farming operations. That's what the government told them to do. And uh, here again, you know, the government has failed uh, black farmers the way they've been failing us for, for many, many generations. And I've been trying to fix that. And I would like to say on your show, no one is against white farmers. And I hope that they can read my sincerity when I say that. If you're putting the plow and dishower in the ground the same time that I am, and, and you're entitled to federal program and, and relief programs, you should get it and you should get it on time. And what I've been saying my whole life is, so should I. I've never sued a white farm organization or, or try to prevent them from receiving any aid that they're rightfully due. But I have, you know, I've been sued and, and, and blocked and, and uh, the debt relief program. So my plea here today is for us to start to work together and uh, embrace uh, some of the things that have happened, acknowledge it uh, so that we can move forward as all American farmers. And until that happens, 
you know, it's like it's like being stuck in the mud, people. Whoever whoever had a two wheel drive truck and you're stuck in the mud, you're just spinning. We have to get out that rut, and the only way to do it is to have conversations like I'm having on this show right now, and begin to acknowledge it and work together. Now, it's worth noting that since dropping the program, USDA has announced other programs to help socially disadvantaged farmers. However, plaintiffs in the case say those new programs don't match the agency's earlier promise. You can listen to my complete interview with John Boyd Jr. on the Farm Journal YouTube page. And that's all the time we have this morning. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day in Farm Journal.